good evening, everyone. This is LaToya Fernandez, the lead host of No Sleep, Vision, Purpose, and Advocacy. And I'm really excited tonight. We have just some really exciting stuff to cover. Um, and I want to start off because we want to make sure that when we bring someone new onto the team, that we allow our guests and our listeners to get to know them a little better. And the most important thing about our show is as many diverse millennial voices at the table as possible. So tonight, I'm really excited and honored to introduce a new co-host on our show, uh, Malcolm. So go ahead, Malcolm. I'm going to give you some time to talk about yourself, talk a little bit about what you do and what you hope to bring to the show. Again, good evening, everyone. Uh, uh, that again? My name is Malcolm Solomon. I like the uh Hey, what's up? Hey Malcolm, go hey, ahead. Okay. Uh, okay. Okay, okay, I thought somebody was saying it was uh it was mute. Oh, okay. But uh yeah, I am um Malcolm Solomon. Uh I'm currently living in uh out in Richmond, Virginia here. What I do is uh I teach elementary grade students. For the past five years, I've taught the grades, uh, fifth grade, second grade, and currently teaching third grade uh, elementary. Uh, I love I love what I do. I'm passionate about educating um, the youth, uh, especially when it comes to uh, black and uh, Latino students, the ones who I feel like I connect with and um, understand and relate to a lot more because I, too, um, were in their position and kind of and sort of still am as a in a low-income environment. Um, I am currently also studying at Virginia uh, Commonwealth University, VCU, to uh, um, completing the master's program to, um, to be a principal, and that will be done in that program will be complete in the, this this upcoming fall. Uh, outside of outside of that, I have my own business called Real Center of Learning. Real is an acronym for reaching every academic learner. And what my business has been doing um, for the most recent had uh, school year was tutoring services for anybody in third or fourth grade that needed to. Um, enhance their abilities in the areas of mathematics. Uh, I didn't have a location, so what I used was the house that I purchased out here, and I welcomed students in and parents to sit down and involve themselves in in this learning process. And um, I try as much as I can to give back to the community uh, in all ways possible, whether it's financial or whether it's just dealing with my time. And I, like I said, thank y'all again for the opportunity to uh, be part of this uh, marvelous uh, show that y'all have going on. Thank you, Malcolm. We're really excited to have you join us. And we also have Micah with us tonight. Uh, Micah uh, always has some really great insight and input to give on the show. Um, sadly, tonight we are missing Kylie and Sam. Uh, make sure that you keep them in your prayers and your thoughts, and we're sending positive love and en energy to you both. So, you know, Malcolm, I, I'm just going to go ahead and just kick us right into what we're going to be talking about tonight. And we're actually going to be addressing 
the misconception around how millennials are um, interacting with mental illness. Um, and I'll just start by kind of giving my personal opinion. I think that, you know, millennials get blamed and, and, and ousted quite a bit. Um, we're accused of having all different kinds of mental illnesses, um, being lost, uh, not having it together, being all over the place, um, not knowing ourselves, having a struggle with a sense of identity, uh, trying to navigate through society. And I say this. Um, and not to say that it's everyone's fault, but the generations before us uh, did have a responsibility. And some of the decisions that have been made have left trauma, generational trauma, um, trauma in our genetics, and then just trauma in our overall mental, mental, uh, our, our mental wellness and, and well-being. And so I think it, it's really easy for some of these older generations to judge us and say that we're struggling with all these things. Um, but I mean, this is the impact of what has happened in our world, the things that have been allowed to happen, things that we had no say-so in, no autonomy in. Um, and so I think that's an important thing to think about. And another thing that I want to point out is the extreme mental illness in the Black community. As a Black millennial, and mental illness looks a lot different in our community than it looks in a lot of other communities. One, um, Malcolm, and I'm, I'm sure you know a lot about this because you also come from an education background and you opened your house to provide just equal access for students to have opportunities and resources. And that's the, re the fact that you had to do that proves that these resources and this equity is not being offered in the schools and that black children are constantly being ignored and the mental illnesses are not being addressed um, and we're trying to put a bandaid over it. Um, and so I think, you know, there's something to say about being a black millennial and, and working in education and seeing the impact of that on our children. Um, and I think that we have to think about where did this come from? We, have, I, you know, I like to go back in history, going all the way back in history. Why did this actually happen? And I think part of the reason is that black households don't like to have a lot of conversation about things because of the things that have happened to our people. Um, they make us feel ashamed and disempowered. Um, so that's just my opinion on it. What do you guys think, Micah, Malcolm? Um, I see. I, I agree with you. Um, I think as as a black uh as a black youth, especially, you know, coming um hold up. My my mother is a teacher and she deals with a lot of diverse kids. Um she teaches overseas. So she has she sees different point of views. But I think as a I think as a as a black man, a black a young black man, we have a lot of trouble speaking to our parents, first of all, because when they were growing up they they need they probably most likely didn't have most likely did not have anybody they can confide to to talk about their problems. And then they brought that into us. And I, and I think it's, it's very imperative for black parents to try to teach their children, like, it's okay to come talk to me about these issues that you're having. Because when you see a lot of, we see a lot of young black men, well, a lot, not, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to really, uh, I guess, single out a race here, but you see a lot of youth kill themselves because they have, they have a lot of trouble Communicating with not only their parents but to other people about these issues that they're having, that's going to go inside that they have trouble, uh, they having trouble to communicate with. And I think, and I think it just stems from just a lot of um, generation generational things like slavery, for example. 
um, civil rights era and coming to the uh, 2000s and 2010s, we have a lot of issues. And I, and I think that's what it is. I think we just have a, I, I think we have a problem just trying to confide to our, within our parents. Yeah, yeah, listen, I couldn't agree more with the both of you. Um, Queen, you talked about uh, it being embedded in our DNA. Now, that's deep because mm-hmm. we, talk about, we talk about trauma. Uh, a lot of the time we think about it as uh, an experience that we had um, as a child or a, a, an experience we had even as an adult, you know, that uh, – that was not dealt with correctly. And then as the years went on, um, uh, we, we start to see these different systems from the, from our mannerisms and the way we act. But in order for it to be embedded in your DNA, it got to be something that was put there long before you was even born, you know? Mm-hmm. And the thing that I think of when I, when I think of tra- trauma or a traumatic experience, it dates back to those slavery times. You understand mm-hmm. where the fact that that uh, the traumatic experience of the black family, you know, the separation of it, the yeah, the harsh, exactly. the excuse me, the the, the harsh uh, acts that was taken to make sure that that black family was separated, the harsh acts that was taken to make sure that that black woman didn't respect that black man. You understand mm-hmm. to the to to the point where. That black woman watching that black man being mutilated and uh, dismembered, you know, right in front of her. And then the European is explaining, like, dang, this is supposed to be your protector. This is supposed to be the person that's um, that's uh, looking out for you. You know, like, how how so if we if we able to do this to him, you know? And that woman developed hate, you know, for that black man. And then they were, then they were put against each other. You know, yeah. that black man and black woman were put against each other where they, at first they were, it was embedded in our DNA for us to work together, you know, mm-hmm. and now, and now, now from this experience, from this trauma, it, now, now that, and that trauma has not been, um, uh, uh, dealt with correctly years and four years, uh, passed. And now those now those same now those same acts are being committed by us. We don't even know why we won't even know why we uh, are doing some of the things we're doing, you know. Yeah. All because all because of traumatic experience such as slavery. Uh, are pushing our are pushing our actions, and we sit here thinking we all good, but nah, we ain't even take the time out to sit down and uh, detox or get help or seek help from you know those different sources. You know, so mm-hmm. I I couldn't agree with y'all more. You know, and then on top of that, you know, we we have the situation that 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 we face on the daily. Some of these kids that I work with, they dealing with traumatic experiences on top of they slave on uh, on top of the slavery uh uh trauma. You know, mm-hmm. so it's like it's, it 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 is a situation. It's a situation that's going to have to be like is is layered right now. You know. Is layers on top yeah. layers of traumatic experiences that uh, are being are being um, serviced. You know, nobody's yeah. providing nobody's providing that relief for them. You know, so they yeah. experiencing they experiencing these things, and um, uh, 
and and somebody yeah. could look at it. Somebody could look at them while while they're experiencing they and they're acting on these things. They acting these acting these things out, and it's like oh something. Yo 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 Tyrone, he be tripping, man. Nah, he that man needs some help. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know he's going through he's going through some things. You know and yeah. And I think as black millennials, I think as black millennials, because I'll say in this conversation right now, all three of us are black. I think as black millennials, when we think about what we needed um, in order to kind of weather through the storm and navigate through society, um, we we didn't get that. In terms, like you said, not being able to have those resources, not knowing what to do when we were going through certain things. So. In a, in a way, I would say we're a generation of undiagnosed mental illnesses. And so I'm about us as, you know, us as millennials. And now as black millennials, one of the biggest um, complaints in the education system is that there are not enough black teachers. And, and that is exactly where those educa- that education and those resources start coming from. But I feel like it's a broken cycle because if we're a generation of undiagnosed mental illnesses and we're suffering and struggling, it's very hard for a black millennial to become an educator when you are yeah. into a world where you finally do find yourself and now you have to deal with all of these issues from your childhood, all this trauma. And so I think that once again, um, this idea of white privilege does play into that and allowing people that don't necessarily reflect the community to give and deliver resources to uh, students that, that need help that they really can't give them. And so it's just, yeah. you know, when I think about it, I'm thinking of black millennials, how do we combat that argument from older generations when they say, things have gotten crazy and it's y'all fault and y'all got all these mental problems and y'all, you know, how do we combat that? Um, I think I think really I think the most simplest thing that we can try to do to combat, you know, the, the traumatic experience that we have is just simply just talk with one another. It's not, and I don't think it really has to start with the parents because I mean, I, I mean, I, I just, I mean, I don't know, I, I I just think just talking with each other just as a as a brother and a sister. He's like, well, listen, I'm I'm going through this, this and that, now, I'm, you know, because that can honestly save a whole bunch of lives, especially because nowadays you have like twelve year olds kill themselves over something, or, or, or like having mental illness or depression or depression. So you have young children that are killing themselves nowadays, and 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 sadly, it, it's black too. It's, it's black children who have who have 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 who live in traumatic situations. Um, like you got you got you got inner city kids, for example, you know they they see games, they have they see a whole, a whole bunch of violence, like every daily, and then they go to school, then if and, and, and if they are getting bullied, on top of that, and then you got your, and then it could be some problems in the household, you know, it's it's a whole bunch of stuff that can really be detrimental in the development of a child, and I'm sure Malcolm, and I'm sure you can attest to this. I'm sure you probably have or seen uh, a couple of your black students who have been going through this issue. Have, have you have you experienced that so far? Yeah, without a doubt. Every every day, the, the child, the, the child in these low poverty areas, especially, they come into school with some type of problem. You know, some mm-hmm. type of some type of experience that they bring in with them from home, and understanding that. Because, like I said, I too am from am from where they're from. You know, I I know how to I know how to um, 
uh, intervene, you know, and a lot of a lot of people that don't understand where they're coming from, you know, they just they 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 labeling them, you know, they're either saying like this is a behavior problem, you know, this is a special ed kid, you know, we got to put them over here in this category, you know, but to uh, to answer your question, Toya, uh, how how do we combat? I think I think the first thing is like any other problem, we gotta first acknowledge that it is a problem. You know? Mm-hmm. We gotta first we gotta first sit down collectively, you know, and say, All right, I've experienced something in my past that I need to deal with, you know. I don't need to hold on just a second. I don't need to when I say deal with it, it's not saying that, oh, I need to um uh, be in denial. That's dealing with it. And say that you know, it, it never happened. Is it not? We got to be honest with ourselves with this, with this conversation. Uh, Michael, you say you we need to talk. But yeah, they talk. That what we're talking about has to be something with truth. Something with truth and honesty. And we got to be able to live in this new reality that we're gonna be creating. Because a lot of people don't want to live in the in, in the reality. You know, mm-hmm. and they find ways to escape. Whether it is uh, involving themselves with some type of narcotic, <laughs> you know, that's a means to escape this reality, and or 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 doing something or doing something else, whatever it is to get this thing out of their mind. But uh, definitely, conversation is going to be necessary. Just truth on it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it, it is it is a topic that we can just kind of talk about forever. But um, there's something that I want to put on everyone's mind before we come back, because we are going to break for a commercial. And then when we come back, we're going to be bringing a guest speaker who has a bit of expertise um, of knowledge in this in this subject. Uh, he is um, a licensed marriage and family therapist with over Four years of experience working with a bunch of different age groups and different environments from children, adolescents, adults, families, couples, um, uh, and, and really focusing on the issue of uh, LGBT issues, social, uh, social learning issues, post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, oppositional defiant disorder, ADHD, couples, uh, marital status issues, family issues. And these are actually all issues that are really prevalent to millennials, and I'm really excited for us to bring this guest on in the next part of the show because he is a millennial and I want to uh, we're going to talk about how that has shaped his work as a therapist and and pick his brain on on some of the strategies and methods that he's used but to think about millennials and mental illness I want you to think about two things as a millennial do you feel you have done what is necessary to address your own potential mental illnesses? And if you're not a millennial and you're part of an older generation, have you done your due diligence to support millennials addressing these issues? Or do you also feel that you have some issues to address yourself? So that's something I want to leave us thinking about. Please call in and ask any questions, share any concerns. The phone number is 917-889-8078. We'll be back in just three minutes. Again, the phone number is 917-889-8078. Thank you. We'll see you back. listening to the CWR Talk Network, America's voice for causes, issues, and life empowerment. 
This is the CWR Talk Network. Hashtag One Million Strong. It's Thursday night and you're grabbing drinks with some friends. Start it off with a pitcher for the table, which quickly becomes two. There's pool. And there's the photo booth. All right, everybody squeeze in. Say cheese. Followed naturally by an order of wings. And another. Can we get some extra ranch sauce? Then there's the ceremonial nightcap. So what are we doing this weekend? And lastly, it's back to the car, which, if you're buzzed... could be the most expensive night of your life. Getting pulled over for buzz driving could cost you around $10,000 in fines, legal fees, and increased insurance rates. Nothing kills a buzz like getting pulled over for buzz driving, because buzz driving is drunk driving. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Listen and imagine. It takes five seconds to send a text, and for those five seconds, you're driving blind. Life is worth more than a text. Stay alive. Don't text and drive. Visit StopTextStopRex.org, a message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, Noise, and the Ad Council. Wake up, America. Today we are a country divided because of racism, hatred, and injustice. But racism will not define us and hatred will not defeat us because that is not who the majority of us are. But we seldom come together as one to have an open dialogue about the racism plaguing our country and how it affects individual ethnic communities and our nation as a whole. That is why the CWR Talk Network has assembled a phenomenal team from various backgrounds and ethnicities to discuss how to overcome the racial divide in America. This special two-hour live online virtual town hall event will be held on Tuesday, June 19th from 1 o'clock to 3 o'clock p.m. Central Time. Visit our website, cwrtalknetwork.com, and sign up for our newsletter for updates and more details. Don't miss this very special event on Tuesday, June 19th, designed to stop the hate by learning to better communicate. If you are interested in participating or sponsoring this event, contact us by email at info at cwrtalknetwork.com. That's info at cwrtalknetwork.com. Together, we can unite America. online, you can be a witness and make a difference by letting the world know it isn't cool and by letting your friend know you care. Learn more at eyewitnessbullying.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council.
Hey, everyone. Welcome back. Micah, Malcolm, are you on the line? Yes, we are here. I'm here, and Malcolm is yep, here. I'm here. Okay, wonderful. So I'm really excited about the next part of the show. Uh, we opened up the conversation a bit earlier talking about mental illness and the stigma around it as a millennial going to see a therapist and um, all of those misconceptions that are attached to that and also just all of the other negative stigmas that come with being a millennial and suffering with any kind of mental illness. So tonight's special guest is uh, Dejavon Davis, as I told you before, he's a licensed marriage and family therapist who's had just done a work, done a lot of work in a lot of different areas. Um, and so we're going to be picking his brain tonight. Feel free to call in and pick his brain as well. Our phone number is 917-889-8078. Um, he's a firm believer that sometimes people need someone to talk to that'll listen to them without judgment and accept them for who they are at that moment. And I think that he speaks for millennials when he says that. We are looking for a non-judgmental support system. Um, so I'll go ahead and, and turn it over to him. Hey, how you doing? Yay! Hi! What's going on? Wonderful. Hey. Nice to talk to you guys. What's going on? Um, nothing much. Um, I'm ha- happy to be here. We're glad mm-hmm. to have you. Yeah, so why don't you go ahead, uh, Dejavon, and just tell us a little bit about yourself and the work that you're doing and the kind of demographics that you're working with. Right now I work for um, two different private practices. Um, one is a group practice where I work with um, in a predominantly white neighborhood, and then one is my own personal private practice, which is a lot more mixture and diverse in clientele. Um, <clears throat> right now, I do a lot of work around trauma right, with kids with ADHD, which a lot of time means like our brown boys, um, kids with um, separation issues, custody battles, family dynamics, all that kind of stuff. Um, there's not really much I don't really touch upon. I don't really do substance abuse if that's the primary. Like, if it comes up as something that's happening because of, like, the trauma or the family stuff, I got you. But if it's, like, it's own separate thing, it's not for me. Um, and, like, while that's all happening, I'm still trying to, like, manage <laughs> a private practice and look at social policy and how all those things, like, work together. It's a lot of different, you know, departments to manage, but that's where I'm at right now. Nice. Well, you're doing a lot, and and we're really grateful, um, especially because considering the fact that you are a black uh, supporter, and we were just on the line talking about what it means to be a black millennial and deal with mental illness. Um, and so, Micah, I actually know um, when we were talking about this earlier, you had a question that you wanted to ask about uh, being black and, um, and and receiving services? Uh, I'm looking for the question right now. I had it. Uh, I just had it. Hold up. Okay, so my question is to you. Um, coming from a black licensed therapist, what is one consistent issue you see or hear in our community? Um, I consistently hear us like we don't have enough forgiveness for for like the things that have happened to us mm-hmm. we, don't, we don't have enough forgiveness and there's a lot of that that um, people who get stuck in situations and a lot of that is because of circumstances 
and circumstances usually due to policy and the way systems are run and it becomes a cycle and I see a lot of people who are stuck and can't get out of situations that's that is a consistent scene uh, scene that I see amongst like our people where it's like I see when I I'm in a different town where it's mostly um, white people and I see a lot of people thriving or people who can make mistakes that we can't make (laughs) like we Mm -hmm. don't have the flexibility to make that kind of mistake so there's a lot more pressure on us to do a lot more with less resources and it's it's hard and I see that as a consistent theme even when we are like trying to be something great and that means even when we're in college there are still things in college that we have to face when we graduate college there are still things we have to like like it continues and it gets tough so that's that's what I see that's consistent yeah I I agree man I, I you know coming from a, a young black male you know I, I've seen I've I've seen a lot of issues within our community within mental 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 health issues and um, you know, and I guess you know people have different ways to cope with all this stuff. But honestly, I just me personally, I think it's just at the end of the day, we just had to find somebody to talk to, because it can eventually become deadly and fatal. And they can sometimes it can you be you've been with yourself, you know, self harm, or you know, they, I mean, I I don't know any black school shooters, but you know, you do have cases where. White people, you know, they they they, they put this case like, oh, who's just mentally unstable or mentally illness or whatever. But again, they still don't, you know, get, I guess, the same leniency as black folks because I think if if we become a school shooter or whatever, you know, it's it's a whole different can of worms. Don't want to open, but I just think at the end of the day, we just have to really just talk to one another, and it doesn't necessarily have to be with parents. Yeah, I mean that could that that's a good thing, but you want to start small. I just think that's with each other as a brother and sister. Um, you know, talk to a friend or you know, or, or just somebody you think you could confide to, whether it be a school counselor, um, or even just a good colleague of yours. So that's just my opinion. But thank you for the question, man, for real. Yeah, absolutely. And something else that I want to ask about, especially because we're talking and thinking about our generation, um, is in your line of work, I'm sure you work with a lot of uh, different people from different ages as well. Um, have you noticed that you might have to use different types of approaches to therapy um, that, you know, for millennials versus older generations? Um, definitely have to change it up. Like code switching is a huge part of therapy work, um, especially being young and also being black. So being young and working with older clients can be tricky because a lot of times they can look at you and be like, what do you know? So a lot of times you have to take uh, kind of like a one-down approach and you kind of approach them and, and let them be the person who drives the, like, drives the session. Like they know the most about themselves and you find out more. And then as things continue to work, then you're able to have influence over them and create change. But I find that it's, I have to approach old people like that or older generations like that because they have this idea, they have this idea that, like, hmm, what do you actually know and how did you actually get here? And if you're a black therapist, I mean, you must have issues before you got here. Did you work out your issues? And then, like, the way I talk, I talk like this to them too. So it always creates another barrier because they're looking at me like, I need you to speak in – well, like, how do I do this without sounding disrespectful? Okay. 
Just keep it real. It's all good. <laughs> yeah. Um, so when I'm talking with whiter folks, like I, I, they want me to sound proper or to use language like this theory is backed up by this, and that's how I know things. And a lot of times theory is great, <clears throat> and it works sometimes, but it's like that's theory that's for – that was made up talking about like systems that work for like – and not everybody. So I'm – I'm real, like I'm just me, and that's hard for them. As millennials, we are a lot more real. We call things as what it is, like this is what you're doing, and it's not okay. That's really hard for that generation. So I just being and then being black on top of that, it creates a lot of dynamics. I've had a lot of issues with um, being in certain like areas and having to deal with like being harassed because I'm a therapist. Like it, it created definitely some struggles like people have a really hard time with it sometimes mm-hmm. yeah I can only imagine and it's it's such it's a lot of work for um someone who is already trying to navigate through being a black millennial in society to then take on that responsibility um and that journey of supporting others <laughs> through their journey so um you know it's it's really wonderful um Malcolm, did you have a question that you wanted to ask or any comments you wanted to make? Yeah, most definitely. So I know we spoke on uh, uh, slavery and the traumatic experience. I wanted to know uh, from his perspective, uh, how how do you see the effects of slavery, um, ecology, or uh, the mental of the African in America? Okay, um, I think slavery slavery put us in a certain kind of mentality, um, and that mentality made us to be in more of a survival mode. And when you're surviving, it you have characteristics that, like, come out because you like, I just need to survive, versus, like, when you're thriving and you can do other things and have certain emotions and things can flow a bit better. As slavery didn't allow, when we have slavery, like, we don't, we're not allowed to have those types of emotions. We are literally, like, always in the survival mode to get my needs met all the time. And sometimes, like, that can work for us, but sometimes that can create problems amongst ourselves because there's not enough resources for us. So we can then start going at it. And we struggle with creating, um, like, a whole group of, like, all of us together getting together and really working through our trauma together and healing as a people, like, we are struggling with that. And slavery is the cause of that because they continued to rip us down during those times when people were trying to pull us together. And it's just, it just keeps going. It's like a cycle. And it's like a trickle-down effect when it actually does work. It, that's, that's when it does work, like, through those systems. Um, and then the systems just continue to, like, do it to us. So it, it's difficult. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I couldn't agree more. It it really has been, and I think the question is now how do we dispel and dismantle those systems? And I think that the work you're doing is is putting one foot forward in that direction by even addressing the the issues that we have that are attached to those kind of traumas. Now I want to kind of switch gears uh, for a moment because we all, I think, all over the United States and I think the world um, just celebrated one of the biggest like. I guess, uh, holidays um, in, in our history, which is Pride. This is Pride Month. 
Um, it, it is coming to an end. But there were pride parades and celebrations all this past weekend out here in California. I know there were a bunch all over. Um, and I know that this is another issue that is conti- uh, that is um, not even an issue, but that has been labeled as an issue, has been attached to mental illness. And I know that you have some expertise around working with the LGBT community. So I wanted to ask you, as a millennial, have you seen and worked with folks uh, and other millennials who have continued to struggle with sexuality and navigating through uh, in the LGBT community? Um, and, and what has that been like? Definitely. There's still a lot of a lot of people who struggle with coming out because we still live in a society that whether or not we want to be like, Oh yeah, we're, we're really happy. And like, we're accepting of everybody that everybody is like, there's still a lot of people who aren't. And there's still a lot of people who come from families who don't have that type of view. Um, I think pride is great. And I think we need more of it so it can continue to grow when you continue to get people to understand and continue to have that like be a thing. Um, but it's not like that for everybody. So it's it's definitely a struggle. But what I struggle with as a millennial is this whole idea of like being a therapist, people tend to assume that like I have the answer for everything. And I'm like, I've never had the answer for everything. Like that's not how this works. This is a a collaborative process. So working with like trans clients in particular, they come to me and they have like, I'm in charge of whether or not they are allowed to go forth and like hormone treatment or if they can have like their gender surgery. And that is hard for me as a millennial because I feel like who am I to have that much power to do that kind of thing? Like we, I feel like we're a lot more like, that's how you feel. Like if that's really how you feel and it's really like what you would like to do and it ain't going to hurt nobody, go for it. (laughs) Like, do your thing. But that's, that's tough when you live in a society or you're expected by certain institutions or certain people around you, especially if you work with other therapists who are like, you can't do that like all the time or they expect it. Like not everybody is like ready for it. I don't know. It's a very interesting dynamic to like try to navigate through. And then I'm a black male therapist. So sometimes that like trips people out talking about LGBT stuff because that's not very common in our community. Right. Um, Yeah, Malcolm, Micah, I'd be interested to hear what you have to say about this, especially because we just so happen to be all black millennials here on the line. Um, You know, you guys have any comments? Uh, I mean, me personally, I don't, I mean, I don't have a, I I mean, uh, I'm going to say this. I think I think with you know mentally, um, especially coming from the LGBT community, you said they have, it's, you know, growing up back then, you know, um, it was it wasn't really as accepted. Um, so now it's more accepting, but we still but they still have a lot of issues with people accepting because you so you have some people who don't think it's right or whatever, or whatever or whatever your opinions in. And I think mentally it it can really mess up because you know. I mean, it just really messes up with their with their brain because you, you got kids who are just not coming out as uh, homosexual, uh, gay, or bi, or transgender, or whatever. And you know, and then you got the parents who 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 was not really accustomed to that type of lifestyle, and then they may not be accepting of it. They also got kids who bullying them for it, and so I and I think that can really be, become a huge problem because it's kind of the world like. 
I don't I don't know if I should really fit in. Like, do I fit in? Do I do I deserve to die or whatever the case may be? And and I think me personally, I like uh, you know the uh, the I forget his name. I'm sorry. I think it's really just talking to a therapist and somebody can really just help out. You know, the people who are having issues with accepting themselves and or other people. If that makes sense, I don't I don't really think I. Really made any sense, but I, I think that was a pretty good solid statement. <laughs> hey, no, that's cool. I'm back. Go ahead. No, I just said that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> I was trying to. I, I wanted to chime in, but I wanted to make sure I got an understanding of uh, what was what, being discussed when we came to the uh, uh, LGBT. Uh, I forget the acronym, but uh, I was trying to understand what, what, what was being said about, uh, uh, excuse me, in reference to that. And um, I know somebody it was said it was part of our history. So if, if I get some clarity real quick, um, I could possibly well, uh, get yeah. get some thoughts on it. Yeah. So what what I was asking is um, uh, with. Uh, is is are our LG are issues of L in the LGBTQ community coming up in therapy for millennials? Are millennials still struggling to um to address their sexuality? Are people still afraid to come out? And what what does that look like um, in therapy? And what's the backlash that they might be getting at home? And I know Michael was talking about how traditionally, you know, in our community, that has been something that's been hard. Uh, for us to navigate as a people, and Dejavon was talking about that as well, and just um, especially in dealing with the trans community um, regarding um, transitioning and hormone therapy and surgery, um, and that decision, uh, them, them kind of asking for that, like, that decision to, to kind of be made for them or if they should do it or not, and, and he's just suggesting, hey, if this is something you want to do, if you feel like it's safe, if it's not going to hurt you or anyone else, go ahead, but there's still this looming... Um, this this kind of cloud um, of our generation still having a hard time um, coming out when they're not. Mike, Michael, are you saying that those people that are part of that community they they have mental illnesses that they suffer from? Oh no, 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 not no, at all. No, I'm not. I'm not saying that. <laughs> no, I was saying I'm saying that sometimes that. When a lot when they have when we have when people have trouble accepting their type of lifestyle, it can't a lot like depression for example can set in. It feels though they don't fit in, or right. they 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 like yeah. That's what I was trying to say. Sorry, I'll, I'll hey, make it a bit more clear. Nah, nah, no, yeah. no need to apologize because now I'm gonna flip it like this. I'm gonna say okay, if you're not saying that they are having, why wouldn't you consider that a mental illness? Why mm. wouldn't? Well, how do, well, how do you define mental illness? Take that. Well, how do you define mental illness? How do I define it? Yeah. Well, you. This, well, let, let's go. Up. What, what's your definition of mental illness? Because this is this is your area of expertise. So, when I think mental illness, I think there was a set of characteristics or behavior that a person was exhibiting. And we noticed that a lot of people do those same behaviors, and we classified it and put a name on it and said, that's what this is. So that's what you do. And so if you think about it like that, I mean, I guess I guess technically homosexuality could be like 
uh, mental illness because it's a way of thinking. But, I mean, Ooh. it's like, I I don't know. I take that back. <laughs> I don't I don't know how it, like, it can. And you like, on I'm, air, I'm man. Trying. So good. Anybody put family in. No, it's, it's, oh, it's fine. Like, it's cool. But, like, I just feel like I see how, because it used to be in the DSM, and I see how it got there. Like, I can definitely see exactly how it got there. Because when you think about how characteristics are formed and how we, ident- how we uh, like, use mental illness or identify mental illness, like, I can see that. But what they t- started to see was that, hmm, wait a minute, there's a lot of people who have this, like, so many that it's maybe it's not a mental illness. Maybe this is like something that's normal. If there's this many people, hold on, let me double check normal. real quick. Okay, right. Hey. So this, let me this ask is, this. Let me ask this. If something is how 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 is something determined to be normal? Well, when we think about normal, we think about the majority of people doing it, like how many people like do it. And then we create, that's how we create a normal societal norm. So normalizing something, all it takes is for the masses to accept it. And then boom, we got it normal. And anybody that's doing the opposite but, of what's normal is considered sick. But that's, that's our, that's how we identify truth too. Like anything in truth is because a group of us agreed that this was the truth, and that's why that's how it works. That's 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 that, that, that's valid. That's valid. I understand that, but we also understand false realities and false truth. For for instance, if all three of us in this room right now, and we were together, we all, me, all four of us, sorry, in this room right now, we were together, and we were just hanging out outside, and it is 12 o'clock midnight, and we look up at the sky, and all three of us sit around, and we say that we look up at the sky, and we say that the, we say that the uh, sky is blue. But you're the only one that's in there saying, nah, y'all guys are tripping. The sky is black. But from, from, from uh, the masses agreeing that that sky is blue, then you, excuse me, does it make the sky blue? If you saw black. You, no, you, no. Listen, let me let me say it one more time. We, my, myself, Michael, I mean Micah, and Latoya, we are chilling with you all outside at twelve o'clock midnight. And me, uh, Latoya, and Micah look up at the sky, and we see that the sky. We 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 consider we we call this we say to each other in the group that the sky is blue. But you are the one in the group that said and looks up at the sky and sees that the sky is black. And you say, no, the sky is black. Y'all, y'all three trips. Well, yeah, because you make... can't. Yeah, well, the thing is, but... you can't. There, there are universal truths and there are also personal truths. And one of the issues that we have as a society in general um, is that when something isn't our personal truth, we dispel that as not the truth. And I think it's important to decipher between universal truths, like what the colors are, um, and personal truth, which is what is true for me as an individual. And that breaks down to your morals, your code of ethics, and all that kind of stuff. I'm going to share a bit of my personal experience. I actually identified um, for a period of my life as a lesbian. And 
for me, I had gone through some trauma as a child. I had been through some things that had messed with my sense of self and sense of security. And I did find comfort in being with women. Now, during that time, that was, that was what was true for me and what I needed. When I decided, you know, and, you know, after that to be with men and then decided, you know what, I actually ultimately want to be with men, it was because, at, you know, I had gone through a period where I realized what I really wanted long term, um, the truth that I wanted for myself long term was to be with a man. Now, for me, that is my personal situation, my personal truth. Is during that time, that's what I thought was was good for me and healthy for me and made me happy. Now, that's different for any other member in the LGBT community because everybody's story is different. I ask you this question, especially being a black millennial, what black person or what person in general growing up in this society that already has to deal with all of the stress and trauma and then again, especially being black, who would choose to add another reason to be persecuted? What do you say to a little boy, a little boy's mother, if a little boy goes in his mom's closet at four years old and puts on her high heels, you know, and then you see those trends, you see that happening, and then you, I mean, and you just know. Why would someone that's already persecuted by society choose to further be persecuted? And I think that's where I'm at with the LGBT community. I I can't say that it's a mental illness, and I can't say that it's just a choice for people, because I don't see why anyone would want to choose to be persecuted. I agree. It's a lot of different things. Okay. For a lot okay. Of I think I think that um I think from what you from what I just heard you 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 say Latoya, I think it is that you're speaking under the assumption that being <clears throat> A part of that, being part of that community is uh, natural. You're born that way. For somebody to say that a child gets up, goes into his mother's bedroom, puts on high heels and puts on clothes is a trend. For them to be uh, considered to be part of that community, that is a, that, that's an indication for, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, maybe you're not saying this. But that's it. That was the indication for me to let me know that you were you were taking the stance of the individual was born this way. It's in their it's it's in their DNA. Yeah, I so no, you're right. I do agree that it's different for everyone, and that's what I'm saying. I speak from my experience, but I do believe that there are children that are born and uh, and that are attracted to the same sex. I I I'm not saying that's everyone's belief, but I do believe that. All right, now I think it's a lot of both. All right, respect. Thing is this, and we look at it through our nature. Since we we're gonna step we're gonna step aside from what's normal because I, we can see we can see what's normal only deter, is, is determined by the masses what the masses agree on and that and that and that's what's gonna be normalized. Now we're gonna we're gonna talk on nature throughout nature. A Male cat is born, it wants to reproduce, it wants to procreate. It goes find a, another a female cat. Throughout the animal kingdom, if we look at it, if we want to go from elephants that's born, it want to, it is it, born, it don't go looking for a panda. Saying go yeah, looking animal, for another animal female. Hey, hold, 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 
Hold on, let me. Huh? Animal instinct and human instinct are different. We we part of the animal kingdom. Hold on though. Hey. But animals are good If we look at plants, plants throughout everything that's nature. The the pollen that's floating in the air. That pollen is looking for a female plant, so it could continue on with its reproduction system. And then if we look, if we if we take this if we take this broadcast and this show, we continue on looking at. We see that throughout throughout nature, this is the process. An individual, excuse me, things are things are made to want to go ahead and reproduce and, and procreate. Now my thing is, my thing is, why isn't it that way when it comes to a human? We always we find it we find in ways to uh, neg- uh, not a, negate the fact of a mental illness instead of acknowledging the fact that uh, a, an experience happened to me instead of acknowledging the fact that an influence happened to me whatever it is you know. But- it was not because oh you was you just woke you you, you you your parents laid down and they made you and then they just it just made you this way. That influence had to come about because look a child that's putting on his mama clothes they don't even know what gay is. But, how we can we they do. how can they say how, how they 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 what? But they they do like kids a four know year old that's putting days. on his mom. But how, who told know. it to him if they do? How did he Society, find out about it if they? It's okay, then. TV. Thank you right there. It's in so it's, society- it's everywhere. Sir, so kids know. Sir, if society is teaching him, how can we say it is natural then? Well, it's been happening, like, for generations. Like, gay didn't just, like, pop up now. Okay. Like, it's been happening e- even, for even centuries, like, even- since the beginning of time. And when you talk about no, natural, no, no, like, no, 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 no. Not since the beginning of the time, because it's not happening in the African it's not happening in any if you if you study your history and don't go back to any African history. Well, so I will say let's go though. ahead and let let's let Dejavon <laughs> respond to uh what okay. you're saying so that we can, you know, we can keep the conversation diverse. Respect. Um I just think that when you think about sexuality, like we think that we tend to think that straight is the default. And it's just like if that's the case, then you would have made the choice to be straight, like that's you woke up and decided, okay, I'm gonna be straight today. Like if I had to decide to be something else, then you had to decide to be straight, right? And that's how it works. Or is this like straight has to be the default? It's like it can't be though, because that's not how it works for everybody. Everybody like things are different for people don't all have the same belief systems that we have. So if we don't all have the same belief systems. Like it, it doesn't work. For everybody, so I mean, like, if that's how you feel, I can respect it that you that you don't believe it, but like, that's it doesn't work for everybody. Yeah, there are men. Um, there are men, and 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 thinking about being black millennials too, that there have been some really sad cases where some of our people have committed suicide 
because they're gay and they hate it. They hate that part of themselves. They felt everything. They weren't. They didn't weren't influenced by anything from society. It's a feeling they've always had, and they hate it because they were taught that it was wrong, and they killed themselves. And that's something that has been prominent in the black community, especially amongst our black men when they feel that. And that's what I'm saying. I think everyone's experience is different. Because Malcolm, I understand what you're saying, but there's this also this other side of it where it's like. I don't, I just don't think people, I don't think everyone, I won't say people, I'll say, I don't think everyone would choose to be persecuted like that. So I think there's some deeper implications there that, that we might not even know, but I think that it does say something about, you know, like I said, for myself, that was a choice for me. And that's why I speak for myself, but I know just from having experiences with others, that it does, it's not always that easy. Um, that's why a, a lot of it comes with so much pain and self-hatred, too, um, and self-acceptance. Um, and so I know we only have a couple minutes left on the show, and we're going to be closing out. But I just wanted to thank, thank you, uh, Dejavon, for coming on and talking with us about uh, being a therapist uh, and being a millennial therapist at that and supporting in all these different areas that we need and being that open uh, listening, that open listener and, and that non-judgmental supporter. And Malcolm, I want to thank you for just coming on to the show tonight um, and really just hitting the issues heavy, expressing your opinion, being vulnerable, being open, being honest and standing your ground on your beliefs. And Micah, I, I want to thank you for doing the same thing for engineering the show in the background and then also being on tonight and asking those questions and trying to gain a deeper insight on the issues that are happening in our community. And I'm really excited that tonight we did have a group of black millennials to have this conversation because these conversations are so, so important. And I still feel a sense of camaraderie and friendship and love amongst all of us and being able to express our different viewpoints and different opinions. And so Think, you know, think about this, everyone out there. How are you looking at your own sense of self and the issues that you might have? And how can we change the game on what society says about millennials receiving mental illness and about, I'm sorry, receiving support for mental illness and how we're navigating through society with that? And then I also challenge you to think deeply and carefully about what mental illness really means to you, what it means to your family, and what are the ideas that we're projecting onto the people that we have influences on. Thank you again, everyone, for coming out tonight and listening. Thank you for joining us again, Dejavon, and we look forward to hearing from you all next week. Hey, thank you, Dejavon. Later, guys.